Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with part two of this message entitled, On Whom Do You Trust? If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 36. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. And it is my prayer that the more you hear the word, the more you will humble. Two effects of the same word. One makes a person hard, the other effect soft. On whom do you trust? Now that phrase appears in the 36th chapter of Isaiah. Verse 5, on whom are you depending? So that's a subject that we have been dealing with. Very important issue. We will find out when big troubles, not little troubles, big troubles come. Then we will find out either, Mrs. Job says, curse God and Or we would say, we bless God and live, if you really trust him. See, everybody is going to be nice. They would say, we trust God when things are nice. Jesus Christ spoke in Matthew 7. If you hear and do these words of mine, you'll be likened to a wise person who built his house upon rock. You see, that's the foundation. On what are you depending? Your entire structure is resting upon what? Rock. And that rock is Christ. Yes, there is shaking. There is a storm. There is wind. There is storm. There is rain. There is flood. But the structure remains. Christianity is very realistic. It's a fallen world. We have trouble. But the answer to all our trouble is what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So turn to chapter 36 of Isaiah. So we are looking at another person, the son of Ahaz. Now we are talking about 30 years after, 701 B.C., The superpower of that time was Assyria. And the king of Assyria at this time was Sennacherib. And he has already come and destroyed 46 walled cities. Destroyed the field. Everything is destroyed. And the soldiers are at the gate of Jerusalem itself. And you have seen those gates, at least, remember that, we saw those massive gates and, and walls. Hezekiah is the king, son of David. His father sinned and brought this condition. Your decision is going to affect for generation to come. You felt arrogant, you felt very proud, And you made this decision, whatever that decision is. You never thought about its generational effect. 
And so the son is in trouble, Hezekiah. And let's read to you, the field commander is coming and of course he's talking uh, to the officers of the king Hezekiah. Verse 4, this is what the great king, now, the covenant language, this is the covenant language, because Hezekiah was the vassal of this great king. He is the suzerain, he is the sovereign, he is the mighty one who can wipe you out at any time. You see, and Hezekiah rebelled against him. And he didn't want to pay the tribute. You see, before the rise of Sennacherib, uh, Sargon II died. He was the mighty king. He died, and there was a power struggle. And so the kings in the outlying areas of the empire, they thought, well, this is the right time to rebel, and, and we can get away with it. Well, Sargon rose to the occasion to care of certain troubles in the east and north, and, and then he showed up, and he wiped out, destroyed all the cities. And the picture is that he is a, a bird in a cage. So, but he hasn't yet surrendered, you see. So now the nice counsel is what? Surrender to me. You have no other way. Surrender to me. But if you have other ideas, and there, there is this, this speech is uh, the speech of Satan. We hear that all the time. Uh, Half-truths and every other thing mixed up. And, uh, and you see in Genesis 3, the speech of uh, Satan. And so that is what this is, uh, Satan's speech. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing your confidence? You see, that idea of faith appears in this passage, in this chapter, six times. Confidence. What are you basing your life on? What's your foundation? And uh, we don't have much time, but uh, let's look at it. And verse 5, you say you have strategy and military strength. <laughs> it's a big joke. You have nothing. So some people trust in themselves. And the truth is, it doesn't work. And then he moves on uh, to uh, verse 6. Look, now you are depending on Egypt, you see. As an astute politician, of course, he found out Egypt is the other major power and would uh, counterbalance, and so Judah was moving toward Egypt. But Isaiah said, don't do that. Egypt is useless and worthless. And uh, Assyria received these prophetic uh, understandings of Isaiah, and so here, the truth is here coming. There's a truth here. It says, well, uh, Egypt is a splintered reed. <laughs> And if you try to lean on what happens, boy, it pierces through your rear end. <laughs> so don't do that, you see. <laughs> see, you want to sit on it, and what happens? <laughs> it pierces through you. You'll be in big trouble. In other words, self is not a foundation. Egypt is not a foundation. 
So we move on. Verse 7. And if you say we are depending on the Lord. Notice there is truth there. It is. Uh, it says uh, this this Hezekiah wiped out the other places of worship and he said only you can worship where? In Jerusalem. He interprets that in a twisted way at say, saying to the people that Hezekiah is against the Lord. And notice how Satan works. Uh, look at verse 15. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, you see, See, he had a little conversion, Hezekiah, and uh, he really believed in God and uh, turning in terms of faith. And he was telling everybody there was a biblical literacy campaign. If you study his history, uh, people are being taught the Bible, the, the right way of worship, the period of reformation. And so do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look at verse 18. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Notice the arrogance, you see. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his hand from the hand of the king of Assyria? That's utter arrogance. When the truth is, it is God who called. Remember, he will whistle. And the flies and the bees, these are superpowers who will respond. And that is what he's just a tool in God's hand to chastise and discipline his people. And yet he became arrogant to say, the Lord, the Lord himself cannot deliver you. He's impotent. Notice verse 20 at the end. How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? You see, this is what satanic speech. There is some truth mixed up, but finally it is an absolute denial of the omnipotence of this thrice holy transcendent God. Man asserting that he himself is incompetent. He cannot. In other words, the interpretation of, of this great uh, king is this interpretation of the condition in which Judah finds himself. What is his interpretation? God has abandoned you, and God will not help you, and God cannot help you. That's a wrong interpretation. What is the right interpretation? Can anybody tell me what's the right interpretation in terms of this devastation that has happened to Judah? What's the right interpretation? God is causing this to humble you so that he can save you. You need to understand God's ways. Troubles do come. And doesn't mean God has abandoned his covenant and he became unfaithful and he's incompetent. No, no, I hope you will believe that God is still faithful. But he, he wants... Uh, to humble us. And so he ordains situations and conditions and events in our lives to humble us. So, uh, if you want a little uh, real language, the Bible is real. We, we are very sophisticated. We, don't, we use euphemism. The Bible doesn't. Listen to this language of total arrogance and of uh, Sennacherib. Verse 12. 
at the last, who like you will have to eat their own filth and drink their own urine. In other words, he is saying, you are finished. You are going to die. And I will win. He is gloating. He is boasting. And don't believe that. But you better humble yourself and God will help you. So, uh, so there is trouble. And uh, uh, Hezekiah has also faced the trouble. <coughs> and now let's find out what is the response of Hezekiah. His father was a wicked man. But Hezekiah is a child of God. His father was historically chosen, but not what? Eternally chosen. But his son was historically as well as what? Eternally chosen. And therefore, he is going to be all right. So let's uh, see. What, what is the attitude we must have? We must interpret what is happening to us. Whether economic trouble, physical trouble, whatever the trouble is. Or persecution, people don't like you. You must interpret. And what is it? Not that God hasn't abandoned me. He wants me to humble. And he's helping me. <laughs> he's helping you, you know. <laughs> Even your blood pressure. <laughs> is that too high? Well, <laughs> you should say, oh Lord, have mercy upon me. And so that's exactly the course Hezekiah is taking. Turn to chapter 37. When King Hezekiah heard this, that is, this report, uh, this devastating report of the commander... Notice the first order of business is what? Humility. And here is the king tearing his clothes and putting sackcloth. You see, that is what God is expecting you. He wants to save you. He will bend down. He will come down from heavens to help you and deliver you and save you. But he cannot save you because you are arrogant. And so he ordains pain and trouble, persecution, pressure, blood pressure, every other pressure. Pain in the back, pain in the rear, and pain everywhere. Life is real. All right. Turn with me to Isaiah 57 very quickly. If you want to learn something, the idea is that when things happen, I hope you will do what Hezekiah did. 57th chapter, verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. Let me tell you, I don't care about what anybody else says. But I care about what? What God says. That's why we, we are a church that believes in the very word of God. And we pay attention to it. This is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. Notice Isaiah's consciousness of the holiness of God. That he had this vision in chapter 6. It is driving him. It is guiding him. That, that vision. Of this transcendent holy God is governing his entire thought life. And this is what God is saying. I live in a high and lofty place. Means I am transcendent. I'm not your body. 
See, in my being, I am different from you. In my moral life, I am different from you. In every way, I am different from you. I am high and holy. But that is not the only thing he said. But what? But also, God dwells. That's the idea. God lives with him who is what? Contrite and lowly in spirit. This is speaking about God's immanence, God's presence with us. Well, you know, God is transcendent, that is nice, but how can we find him? How can we reach him? How can he help us? Well, God says, I'm not only transcendent, but I also dwell with people who are humble, who are lowly, who are contrite, who are repenting, who are... People of beatitude says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn because of their sin before God. And what happens? I dwell with them. And why is he doing that? We are told. Why? This immanence. Why? What is the purpose of it? The incarnation. Why? God is also Emmanuel. God with us. Well, here it is. What is it? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, that's what you see. And you go home and read Isaiah 66 verse 2 and Matthew chapter 5. You understand the proper attitude we must have before this transcendent, holy, high God. We cannot manipulate him. We cannot control him. But he comes down to help you. Like the blind Bartimaeus, all of a sudden he finds God is coming this way. Isn't that something? Mr. Zacchaeus, a small fellow, he climbed up a tree. And he heard it too. And he's passing and he stopped at the foot of the tree and looked up and said, come down. Is his, and he's coming to revive you, meaning to save you, to deliver you, to help you. That's the idea. You understand that? Hmm. And so, or oh, turn with me to chapter 40. That is a very important chapter. And listen to this language. If you are all miserable and confused and weak and and uh, woe me, idea, God is here to help you. Here it is. Verse 28, chapter 40 and the rest. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. <laughs> Who gets tired and weary? You! And I, we get tired and weary and miserable, depressed, confused, timid. But he doesn't. But notice, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust, those who hope, those who rest... In the Lord will renew their strength. You see, he comes to dwell with the contrite and with the lowly to revive their spirit. 
And they will run and not grow weary. Because he continuously is with us. And they will walk and not faint. So then, turn to chapter 37. So that's the first thing he did. He interprets what is happening correctly. This pain and this suffering, this persecution, this anger of Sennacherib, and this destruction all around. He interprets it correctly, not that God has abandoned me. God wants to help me if I humble myself. So he does. And then moves on. What else? Oh, look at it. He went into the temple. (laughs) He went into the temple, man. Don't sit in that little cubby hole of cave of nothing. And stew in your little miserable negativity. Humble yourself, understand everything correctly, and uh, run to the temple. Run to the temple. Why? Because it is understood God dwells in the Holy of Holies between the cherubim. It is the presence of God that God promised Solomon. And God said, if you go there and pray, God will help you. Hallelujah. And we come to the house of God where the gospel of God is preached. And it is going to come and revive you. And strengthen you. And help you. And heal you. (laughs) Get out of that little little place. Go then to the temple. And not only that. You see, another thing he did. You see, his father had no use for Isaiah the prophet. Everybody knew there was this Isaiah. This great man of God. He has the word of God. He has a fresh word of God. He is the prophet. And God will speak to him. And he'll speak to me in this condition. But he refuses to have anything to do. But his son. He understands. He is humble. And he sends people to him. Oh that means brother. Not only you come to church. Have some fellowship with the people of God who loves God and walks with God. And that's what he did. And notice then, you are to tell him, we, have, we are pregnant and it is nine months and nine days. The baby has come at the very womb of but one. No strength to deliver. This is a profound description of the utter weakness of Judah. Please tell him, tell Isaiah, we are weak. We are weak. We cannot save ourselves. Maybe he can pray to God and God will deliver us. You see that when you read, you will find chapter 37. This is what Hezekiah says. This is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength for the mother, what? To deliver. It's all stuck. And we need need God to come down and help us. It may be that the Lord, your God, will hear the words of the field commander and so on. Therefore, pray for the remnant That still survives. You see, you seek other people who love God and tell them, please join with me in prayer. Come on now, you know, I am in deep trouble. If two of you shall agree, you know, 
and pray. Come on now. You see, I'm in deep trouble. Please pray with me. Praise God in this church you can do that. Isn't that true? Yeah, call somebody. You know, I have a deep trouble. Please help me. And, and they pray. So that is what he's doing. But not only that, turn to chapter 37, verse 14 through 20. <laughs> he goes to temple again because he got a letter. He got a letter. <laughs> and the letter wasn't positive. <laughs> letter was from the great king. <laughs> and the letter was saying, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I'm going to kill you soon. Oh man, I'm going to kill you. And you talk about praying and going to the temple. Nothing is going to work. I'm going to kill you. A letter. And you look at verse 20. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. You see the habit. His habit of what? Going to the temple. Going to God with all our problems. Not to the psychiatrist. Not to anybody else. And to the university, you don't get any help over there. Nobody is going to help you. You go where? To this great God who put his name in the temple. And that's where he's going. And notice what he's doing. He opened, he, he spread out the letter before God. God, you, you have a letter here. See, I'm just a deputy, but the real letter, the letter is for you. And they are mocking you. You see, let me tell you, when you mock me, you are mocking who? <laughs> of course, they mocked Hezekiah. But it is not Hezekiah. Finally, it is God. They were mocking you, oh God. They are mocking you. Spread out the letter. This is a theological prayer. If anybody wants to learn how to pray, you can study Matthew 6. Jesus himself taught us to pray. But this is the same type in the Old Testament. Theologically rich. It is not going into the presence of God. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. There is reverence. There is theological understanding. There is who God is. Our Father in heaven, what is it? Hallowed be thy name. That's the transcendence. <laughs> He's not your body. Hallowed be thy name. Listen to this prayer. It's very important. Notice verse 16. O Lord Almighty. That is Yahweh Sabaoth. Captain of the armies. Absolute authority and total power. Have that, you see. In other words, Sennacherib is not what? The Lord Almighty. He's just a, a human being. O Lord Almighty, Captain of the army of heaven, Almighty God who can handle any and every situation. You see, and then, God of Israel, that's speaking about your covenant with Israel. You have a covenant with Israel. That's a relationship of God to us. And he is calling attention to that. And not only that, enthroned between the cherubim. 
God not only is transcendent, but he is present here in the temple by his own mercy. And not only that, you alone are God. We understand there are idols of the world. They are nothing. They all are nothing. There is only one true living God. See the rich theology of his prayer rather than mindless request for things. And what else? You alone are God. And you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. In other words, the Lord is not God of a little country, little hill. He is the sovereign God of all the earth. See, he's not making requests. He's praising God first. Praising God. You have made heavens and the earth. You are creator, God. That's the idea. You are creator. When you open the Bible, that's what you see. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See the, the serious thinking. And what else? Oh, now comes the request. Look at the, these are all imperatives. Give ear, O Lord. Hear. Open your eyes, O Lord. See. Listen. All that is imperative because of the Sennacherib. The idea is urgent. God, act. Please, act. See. Open your eyes. Deliver. It's not some passionless little mumbo-jumbo, you know. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. This is serious business. He said, I have to eat my own filth and drink my own urine. Our condition is so desperate, oh God, you alone are capable of doing. You are God of Israel, you are God Almighty, you are God of the heavens and the earth, you are the creator, you alone are God. You are the God, king of the kingdoms of the earth. Act, please. Well, not only humility, but there is serious prayer in the context of this trouble. Let me tell you, Bible is reality-based. So he is telling reality that I'm in serious trouble. Yeah. Oh, we have a habit of saying, how is it? Everything is all right. Everything is not all right, sister. Everything is not all right, brother. I have problem. I have deep problem. Please help me. Let us pray, in other words. And notice the reality, verse 18, it is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these places and destroyed their gods. And now he gives the interpretation. He says, you know why he was able to destroy all these gods? But they are what? Idols. They are not really gods. You alone are God. And so verse, look at verse uh, 20. This is, now, O Lord, our God, save us. Deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. You see, it is the glory of God that he is seeking. They are mocking you, O God. They are blaspheming you. Come and save us so that your glory will increase all the peoples of the earth. Is that the way we pray? You see, it begins with God Begins with God's glory and ends with what? God's glory. In other words, if you don't deliver me, 
the problem is people will say that you are not able to deliver. Save us and be glorified in the salvation that you give us. And notice then, let me read from chapter 37 verse 5. It is the word from Isaiah. You see, he asked Isaiah to pray and he prayed and he got the answer and let's hear the answer. What is it? Verse 6, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what? Come on now, let's say that together. This is what the Lord says in response to this is what King Sennacherib says. But you see, the final word is the Lord's word. He heard the words of men. Now this is what the Lord says. And pay attention to what he is saying because that alone is it's important. And let me tell you what he says. He is going to put a spirit into this man Sennacherib. You see that shows God's, as John Frame says, that God's total control and authority over everything. Here is the big king, but God will put a spirit into him. And then all of a sudden, he is going to do what the Spirit is telling him to do. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? This mighty, powerful man. I'll put a Spirit into him. Secondly, he is going to hear a report. You see, God controls the whole universe. Everything happens. And he will hear a report. And that will scare him. <laughs> you see, he, I will put... And then what happens? He, as soon as he hears the report, what is he going to do? He will return. Return where? Into his little cave in Nineveh. That's where he's going to go. Oh, I see. And what else? I will remove him there. And after many years, it literally happened. He was in the temple worshipping in 681. Literally happened. His two sons came and cut him down. This is the type of mighty God we serve. He knows how to humble you. And not only that, turn to verse 33, chapter 37, verse 33. Again, therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. What is it? He will not what? Enter. <laughs> Who said? The Lord said, who dwells in the temple, he said, he will not enter this city. And look at verse 30, 35. I will defend this city and save it. I will defend my people and save my people who humbled themselves and cried to me. Hallelujah. One more time, all our troubles and problems are there to what? To humble us. So he can come and what? Save us. I will defend the city. I will save the city. All right. Now, if you don't believe it, when you read the book of Isaiah, you will see God's signature. Just like in a document, there is a signature right here. You will see the signature of God. Verse 32. Notice, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will what? That's a signature. I'll do it, man. I will do it. And look at verse 36. 
Just like in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 and 23, in the night, the angel of the Lord went out. And so also in the night, the angel of the Lord went and cut down 185,000 tall, powerful, cruel, mighty Assyrian soldiers. 185,000. Now read on, it says he went home. Read on, it says he went to the temple. Read on, it says his own sons cut him down. He did it all. You see, there are two kinds of people here. One is Ahaz. Ahaz, arrogant, has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with God's prophet, nothing to do with the word of God, nothing. They scratch their head and say, I can't handle it. They trust in horses and chariots. They are politically very astute. They know how to play one off the other. They are, oh, they, they, they are people for, uh, known for public policy. Oh, these, these monkeys, you, you hear them on television? Oh, they, they will come and they're the policy one. They, they tell you. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody will tell you you have to repent and pray. Uh, have you ever heard recently? <laughs> Nobody wants. Even the church doesn't want to say anymore because it is old-fashioned, you know. Nobody will tell you, you have to repent. You know, that's right. God will help you. God is quite able. God is God Almighty, creator of the ends of the earth. He alone, God, he is the kings of all the earth. And he is your God, God of Israel. By covenant, you call upon him and he'll help you. No. Ahaz is astute. He's a politician. He knows how to handle. He scratches his head. He says, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, I know how to do it. And there are some here who is like that. You know, I don't have anything to do with the Bible, anything to do with the church, anything to do with the ministers, anything to do with anything. I know how to handle it, man. <laughs> if, if, uh, if the baby has come, it is not coming out, I know how to massage here and massage there, and I know how to take care of it. And they make the fatal error of making wrong decisions. And from generation to generation to generation, it haunts them. But then there is Ahaz. He got into trouble too. He sinned, there is no question about it. But you see, he repented. He humbled himself. He tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He went to the temple. He sought help from the great prophet. He prayed to God. And said, oh God, act. And he said, I will act. And he did it. What is your problem? What is your problem? Now, your problem is designed by God to humble you. Go to the house of the Lord. Go to the word of the Lord. Go to a, a man of God, a woman of God. Pray to the Lord your God. Ask the ministers to pray for you. God wants to save you. God wants to deliver you. God wants to help you. And he will help you. But let me tell you, the biggest problem is not your pain and your economic trouble. 
The biggest problem in the, in the world is slavery to sin yeah. and yeah. Satan. Yeah. That's the biggest problem in the world. And you can do nothing about it. But God has sent his son Jesus Christ. And you ask me the question, what must I do to be saved? And I'll give you the answer, what is it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to be like Hezekiah. Help us to humble ourselves. Help us to be poor in spirit. Help us to mourn. Help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Help us to be contrite in our spirit. Help us to be lowly. Lord, help us to be like the publican who beat his breast. He did not even dare to look up. And he cried out, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And God saved him instantly. He went home justified. Save us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord. Heal us, O Lord. Comfort us, O Lord. Strengthen us, O Lord. Bring us to delivery, O Lord. Hallelujah. May Satan not succeed. Oh God, thank you for your son Jesus Christ, who by his death destroyed death, defeated Satan, and set us free. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, presenting this message from the Bible series on the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthews.